0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at oursaviorschurch.com. We're taking a look at We're taking a look at the longest sermon. Really, this whole series has been based on who is answering the question, who is Jesus? And we've taken almost two months now on one particular moment in the ministry of Jesus where he taught the longest sermon that we have recorded by him called the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon spans three chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it is the words of life from the giver of life. There's a lot of, I'm a preacher, so preachers like to debate, you know, this was probably the best preacher, this was probably the best. There's no finer preacher than Jesus. Yeah. And there's probably no more important sermon given by him than the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we've been taking our time with and listening to and are focusing on In this sermon, Jesus raises the standard of righteousness. And he says something that I've quoted multiple times. I'm not going to read it again. But he says something to his disciples in front of the crowd. And he tells them this. He says, unless your righteousness is greater than or exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't even see it which at the time was probably pretty discouraging to the the hearers because they're thinking, there's no way that I can be better than those guys. Those are the righteous teachers. Those are the religious leaders. I have nothing to offer until Jesus keeps speaking and they realize he's not talking about an outward righteousness that just follows the rules to a T. He's talking about changing their hearts and a righteousness that doesn't just come from your actions. It comes from your heart. Because if you understand this, everything flows out of the heart. So if he can change your heart, the actions will change. I was telling this, we we gathered yesterday with our young adults ministry. I was there and I had a a moment to teach some of our young adults, just a brief little devo. But I, I told them a lot of times as a pastor, people come and they want me to help fix the problem. And they're only thinking about the fruit on the tree when Jesus wants to change the very root system. If he can get to the root system, then the fruit will be healthy. And Jesus is teaching us, I want your righteousness to come from your heart. That's what makes it greater than that of the religious teachers because they were doing a lot of stuff, but their hearts were wicked and they were far from him. Now I wanna ask you a question this morning. Do you ever stop to think about why you do certain things that you do? you ever stop to think, why do I do this? Why do I do that? Why do I come to church? Why do I act like this? Why do I say that? What is the motives of my heart when I do blink? And I would tell you guys that all of us are guilty of doing things that we don't know why we do them. Maybe we do them because it's what was modeled for us, our our parents taught us it, or we do it because of expectations that are on us. I'm expected to do this by society. I'm expected to do this by my job. I'm expected to do this by the place in life that I'm in. But we don't often ask the question, why am I doing this? I want to talk about a few things that we do and we don't know why. And I'm going to tell on myself with the first one. I always rinse my plates before I eat. I know y'all were looking for something super spiritual, but it's not. Every time I eat, I grab a plate that has been sanitized, dried, maybe even hand washed. And the first thing I do is I run water on it and I rinse it. Don't judge me. Don't look at me like you're better than me. But I'll tell you, I remember when that started and why I do, how many of you do that? Just to make my heart feel better. How many of you rinse your plates? Thank you. I'll tell you when it started. I was maybe six or seven years old. And my mom said, the pest control man just left. So you have to rinse your plate. I'm 42. The pest control man left a long time ago but it's stuck in my head. I rinse my plate every single time. Now, lest you sit back and criticize me, let me tell you what you do. How many of you double-click your car to lock it even after you've heard the beep? At bed, before we go to bed, I lock the car door, I walk and grab it again, beep, beep. Just to double check, just to make sure. How many of you ever looked in the refrigerator and saw that there was nothing there left and then came back at least two more times <laughs> hoping to find something? Like Maybe it wasn't there the first time. I got to know, how about this one? I didn't share this one with the first service. How many of you are guilty of doing this when you're at the grocery store and somebody is right in front of the item of food that you want to get, what do you do? You act like you're paying attention to the other thing, and you're just waiting until they move as soon as they leave. I know, y'all. So you were judging me for the plates. I got your number. few more, and we'll move on. Have you ever pulled out your cell phone because you wanted to know what time it was You pull out your cell phone and you close it and you realize you didn't actually pay attention to what time it was. So you gotta do it again. When you're driving and the sun is blaring, how many of you, like? it's hard to see so you turn the music down as if that's going to help at all. I'll end with one last one. Now you may not do this one, but I do this. I grew up loving boxing and fighting, and I love MMA and all of that stuff. And so I will randomly, if I six, seven out of 10 times, if I'm in front of a mirror, I'm throwing a punch. (laughs) And my my wife will see me, I'll just be in the kitchen and I'm just, and my wife's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so I also like golf. And so I've started trying to work on a golf swing. Don't talk to Tim Sinsley because he likes to judge my golf swing, but anyway. I, so I'll practice. So we were in the, the uniform store with my daughter, buying uniforms for her just this past weekend. And I'm inside of the golf store. I mean, I'm inside of the, the uniform store, and I'm practicing my swing. And my daughter's like, What are you doing? <laughs> She's like, Oh my gosh, Dad. And so now I have to do with more because part of the blessing of being a parent is publicly embarrassing your child. <laughs> so I'm just swinging. And going for it. But that's stuff that we do, and we wonder, I don't even know why I do that. It's just something that I do. And we don't know it until we ask ourselves the question, why do I do it? Now, those are funny things, but I want to talk about some spiritual things that we do the exact same thing with. We do them, and we don't often question why we do them or even know the intentions of why we do them. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 really taught us what not to do. But in Matthew chapter 6, he shifts a little bit and he begins challenging why we do what we do. And he questions the motives and the intentions behind why we're doing the things that we actually do. And last week we began this challenge talking about giving. And Jesus was teaching us, if you give to be seen by people, Enjoy your hand clap because that's all the reward you'll ever get. And you, what you do is you actually, you give up, you forfeit eternal reward for 10-second praise. You get to heaven with nothing in your account for the things you've done because you did it only to please people and make them think you're so generous and such a good guy. He taught that. So if you didn't, go back and listen to that. But he moves on to something that we would say is even more dear to our heart, even more spiritual. Verse 5, he says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray go away by yourselves shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private then your father who sees everything will reward you so why do you pray ask yourself that question wrestle with that a little bit today why do I pray why do I pray the way that I pray and Jesus starts off by saying Don't pray like the hypocrites. And again, we mentioned this last week, but hypocrites in that day, it meant an actor. If you were in a play, you were called a hypocrite. That was literally the name that they gave for the actors and the theatrical plays and performances that they did during this time. And so when Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites, he's saying, don't be like those who are putting on a show and is not coming from who they really are. We say hypocrite, and it's just an insult. Jesus is saying, I literally know that I know your heart. Your heart is not consistent with the thing you're doing, and you're simply doing it for a show. Jesus says, don't be like that. Prayer is not a facade. It's not a performance. It's not a show. They pray so that others can see them and think, man, you are so spiritual. You are just, wow. Wow. Now, again, let me teach you something about the Jewish people. In that day, there were certain prayers that the Jewish people prayed daily and multiple times a day. There was one prayer called the Shema, and the Shema just means it's it's the word here. And it was something that they quoted two times a day, once before 9 a.m. and once before 9 p.m. And the Shema was simply quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, which is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord. The Lord is one Lord. And they quoted the Shema, again, two times a day. And there was another prayer that the Jewish people would pray called the Shemana. And the Shemana, the word Shemana means 18, because there were 18 different prayers. Later, a 19th one was added, but they still kept calling it the Shemana. Which means again, 18, and they prayed that three times a day. Once at 9 a.m., once at 12 p.m., and once at 3 p.m. And it's been said that there were religious leaders in that time that would just happen to find themselves in the marketplace or a busy marketplace at 9 a.m. or 12 p.m. or 3 p.m. And would stop what they were doing while they were shopping so that they could pray out loud, and everybody in the marketplace go, wow, look at how devoted and how spiritual they are. If you do that now in Walmart, they escort you out. (laughs) But there were people who would do those things simply for the praise of man, so that people would look at them and go, wow, look at how devoted they are. Have you ever been around somebody and they prayed the most? Beautiful, just like eloquent, like you get goosebumps just listening to them, and they have that spiritual voice. They sound like James Earl Jones, (laughs) most benevolent father of the universe, creator of all heaven and earth. They start quoting Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah M. Kadesh, Elohim, and you're like, wow, I just say, God, help. And they're so impressive with their language. But what good is it if the only person that's impressed is the people around you and not God? What good is it if everybody else around you goes, wow, man, that was beautiful? Like I don't when you when I pray and somebody's like, good job, that just feels gross. Because I'm not praying to you, I'm talking to him. Why do we try to impress people rather than connect with God? How many of you ever been in a prayer circle or in a small group, and you know like the pastor or the small group leader says, okay, I'm going to ask one of y'all to pray. And I know what you do. Whenever they do that, you start looking down and looking around, like <laughs> right, hoping that they won't pick you. And we do that. We get intimidated like that because we think prayer is a performance. It's not. When you pray, there's no one to impress but God. There's no one to impress but your Father in heaven. And what good is it if everybody around you thinks you're awesome? But God goes, I didn't even pay attention to that. Because you weren't even really talking to me. You were talking to them using my name. It's getting quiet. It's okay. I'd rather have a prayer that God answers than one that you think is beautiful. Jesus is exposing the heart. He's getting to the heart of the question, why? See, Simon Sinek doesn't have the corner of the market on the question why. Jesus did this long before Simon Sinek came along. Verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private then your father who sees everything will reward you the Bible tells us that Jesus would often get away and go and spend time with his father his disciples at times got to hear them but from what I read in Scripture and what my understanding of this is, is most of the time Jesus was away from them spending time with the father to the point where they came and at times asked, how do we do this? How are we supposed to pray? Because he was always getting away to spend intimate time with his Father in heaven. I believe in that. I think we should have a place where we get away and we just spend quality time with God. Not quantity time, quality time with God. If the only time that you pray Is when you're sitting around a dinner table, that's a problem. If the only time you pray is when other people can hear you, you're missing out out on the source of your strength. It comes from you and God alone. Verse 7, when you pray, Jesus says, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Let me tell you who the Gentiles are, us. If if you were not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And the Bible even says, instead of some translations say, instead of Gentiles, it says the heathen. That's what you call your children, (laughs) the heathen. But this is what the Gentiles meant. Again, it was someone in the Jewish mind. They were the farthest away from God. At least a bad Jew was better than a good Gentile. So in their mind, the Gentiles were far, far away from God. And Jesus is saying, but listen, they pray with their pagan understandings. They pray to these pagan false gods, and they say a whole lot of stuff over and over and over. There are religions that literally say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and that's their prayer time. And Jesus is saying they think they're heard because of their babbling. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask of Him. Don't be like them. God's not impressed with the many words that you say. Listen, again, I believe in having a set time with God. I have a set time that I spend with God. Okay, and I I believe in that. I believe you should. But what good is it if you spend, and this is not what I do, but what good is it if you spent four hours talking to God and not a single one of those prayers was answered? You wasted your time. What good is it if you did it so that you could just, just saying things with no faith attached to it and no real relational heart, it was just a program. What good is that? I heard Pastor Chuck Smith, a pastor that I very much admired. He's passed away many years ago to, to go be with the Lord, but he said, anything we repeat becomes Meaningless. Anything that we put on autopilot when it comes to our time with God becomes meaningless. And a son in the Lord to him, a man named Skip Isaac, he said, we pray out of programming. Well, Pastor, you have to explain that one. How many of you grew up saying, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep? <laughs> Are you not going to raise your hand now? You raised your hand too many times, Okay. And many of us didn't even understand the words of that prayer until many years after we had been quoting it. Here's another one. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Well, God, Pastor Gabe, that's, I mean, talking to God that way, that's not repetitive. Well, you say, God is great, God is good, let us. Do you say that when you're by yourself? Who's us? We're programmed. We rush through things, and we don't even know the words or mean the words that we're saying. I can remember praying a moment when I, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me, and he just asked me a question. He said, Gabe, what do you want? And it wasn't like, it wasn't a dismissive, what do you want? Like, why are you coming to me? Our Father always wants us to come to him, but he would... What the Holy Spirit was really getting at with me was, you're saying a whole lot of stuff, but you're not really telling me what's in your heart. You're not really telling me what it is you really want to ask me, so let's get to it. And it felt so irreverent, but I just started saying, God, I want this. God, I want that to happen. I want that. And I believe that was the best prayer I could have prayed in that moment because it was genuine and honest. And I was really making my request to God from my heart without any religious or flowery language. And that's what prayer is. It's communication between you and your father. Jesus goes on to tell us. He contrasts the way that those religious leaders were praying. And he taught us how to pray. And he says this, verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And do not lead us, do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us. From the evil one. Now, many of you know that, and you know it in a different translation. And even me reading it that way irked you <laughs> because you're so used to it. no say it like this. Here's the sad thing about that very prayer. The sad thing about that very prayer is Jesus taught us to pray from our heart. Gave us a model to pray with, and we took that model of prayer and turned it into the very thing that he was telling us not to make it repetitive, meaningless words. Any of us pray that prayer without even knowing what we're saying or meaning what we say, and we just say it because we think it's what we're supposed to say. That's not prayer. Prayer is communication between you and your Father. Let's break the prayer of Jesus. It says, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is something he says later in the Gospel of John. This is really the disciples' prayer because he's teaching them how they should pray. And he says this, Our Father in heaven, what's he doing? He's acknowledging, teaching us to acknowledge who God is and what our relationship to him is. In prayer, you should always remember who it is that you're talking to. You are talking to the God of the universe. You are talking to the God. The Bible says the mountains melt like wax before him. You are talking to the God who literally said, I want light, and all of a sudden light became a thing. He said, I want human beings, so he formed them with his hands and breathed into them, and all of a sudden there was life beings called human beings at his request and at his desire. Remember who you're talking to. You're not talking to somebody that cannot perform anything that he wants to. Remember that when you're praying because you're talking to the one who can actually do the thing that you're asking him to do. And not only can he do it, not only is he all-powerful, but he's your daddy. He's your father. And he wants good for you. I'm talking to the disciples of Jesus. He wants good for you. You acknowledge that. You remember that. He's not limited, and he loves you. And he says, may your name be kept holy. The translation that you remember, that you learned, that says, hallowed be thy name. Now, to prove the point that sometimes we pray those prayers and don't know what they mean, how many of you did not know what would mean for a, very, for a very long time? I'm going to keep exposing, so keep the hand raising coming. it, Like, does that mean empty on the inside? No, hallowed means reverenced, holy, honored. When you're saying hallowed be your name, great is your name. Honored, reverenced God is your holy name. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people in that day, they did not consider themselves worthy to even say the name of God. So when I'm saying the name of God, I'm talking about a phrase called, don't be impressed, the Tetragrammaton. And that's the name that God gave to Moses when Moses met with him at the burning bush. And God said, this is the name. This is who I am. And so the Jewish scribes in that day they would not even write in writing down the name of God. They would they, they had a, such a weird tradition I won't even get into it but they would bathe after every time that they wrote it. So imagine having to write it a whole lot, that's a lot of baths. But they would they would write the name and they would only write the consonants. They would never write the vowels. Because they didn't consider themselves worthy to say the name or even actually write the name. Which is why to this day To this day, we don't know the true pronunciation of the name of God. We don't know if it's Yahweh or if it's Jehovah because nothing that we read has those vowels in them. So depending on what the vowels were, it was either Yahweh or Jehovah. We don't know. That's why you heard that. So in place of saying God's name, what they would say is they would call God Adonai. And Adonai means my Lord. So when Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name, holy, reverenced, exalted is your great name, God. What he was not saying is, it's okay for you to walk around with a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Because he's holy. Is he our friend? Yes. Does he love us? Yes. Yes. But he's the God of the universe. Great is his name. He goes on to say, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus was teaching us is, as his disciples, you are representatives of his kingdom. Yes, we're praying for the kingdom one day to come. Sometimes, especially around election season, you're like, Lord, please come soon. Please. Right. He was he was teaching us yes as that expectation of the ultimate kingdom. But everywhere that you go as a disciple, you bring the kingdom with you. Everywhere you go, and some of you don't, you just be, I'm just a Christian. No, no, no. You are a disciple of the king of kings and the ambassador of a kingdom inside of a different world. So everywhere you go, you're praying and asking and bringing that kingdom to pass. What is the kingdom? God's will that's done on earth the same way it's done in heaven. That's the kingdom. The king's dominion, the king's domain. I've said it many times. So when you go to the barbershop, you're praying, God, I pray for your kingdom to come here. Lord, change the lives of these men and women. Your kingdom come. When you're at your job, God, change my boss. While you're at it, please whisper to him about giving me a raise, but change his heart. Your kingdom come. In your family, your kingdom come. Everywhere you go, you represent a different kingdom, and it's time we saw ourselves that way. So you're interceding. This is what this is called, intercession. This is what's happening. This is what God wants. So you become, in a sense, a bridge of intercession to bring about what he wants into the place that doesn't have what he wants. Or is not enacting his will. So it's intercession that we're doing. Now, then we see a shift take place. Because up until this point in the prayer, it's been all about God and God's glory and and what God wants to accomplish in the earth. But then Jesus says, now let's talk about you. Now pray, give us today the food we need. Or as you've heard it, give us this day our daily bread. There's two different extremes when it comes to a viewpoint on this. is those that say, as soon as they pray, it is all about only about, from start to finish, about them and their needs. God, help me. God, I need this. I'll need that. I want that. God, please do this. If you don't do this, amen. That's not much of a conversation. But there's that extreme, but then there's the other extreme as well, and I've seen people do this, and they do it thinking that they have good intentions, but this is really what their heart is exposing. Those who say, You know, I pray for others. I don't like to pray for myself. I don't pray for me. And you just look at him, you just want to go. (laughs) Because it seems so flowering and spiritual. But at his heart, it's actually wickedness. Because this is what you're really saying. God, I'll pray for them because they need you. But I got this. I got me. You go, God, take care of all the, the people in India. God, take care of all the people in our church. Man, that poor, please help Pastor Gabe. But Lord, I got me. How wicked is that? We are utterly dependent on him every step of the way. Even down to the very food that we eat. And I think, if anything, that 2020 taught us, we can't even make toilet paper appear. <laughs> we are very vulnerable, whether you know that or not. But can I, and none of, some of you just don't like that feeling of vulnerability. Like, I want to be in control. Can I help you with something you've never been? You've never been, whether you acknowledge it or not. We are utterly dependent on him. There are no self-made men. God promotes and blesses men. We need him for the very food that we eat daily. And Jesus is helping us acknowledge that. Give us today the food we need, both spiritual and physical. I need you. I need food for today. I need provision today. That's being honest with God and making your request known to him. Make your request known to God. there's something you need, stop trying to make it happen. James says it, the book of James says it like this. You have not because you ask not. Ask. If there's something, I have prayer requests of things that I need, but there's also prayer requests of things that I just want. And I'm okay with, most of the time, I'm okay with him saying no to it. Because I want it. It's not something that I need. I just want it. Can I tell you, your father wants to give you things that you want to? But he also knows when to say no. And there are things I'm so grateful to God that I asked him for that I wanted that he said no to. That he said no. That if I would have gotten at the time the thing that I wanted, I might have derailed the purpose and destiny of my life based off of what I wanted. He goes on to say this, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Wait a minute, Jesus, that's a little personal. He says, as, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. See, in your time of prayer, there should be times of repentance. There should be times where you're asking God, please forgive me for the wrong in my heart. Please forgive me for the pride in my heart. None of us, myself included, should go through extended periods of time where there's not a God, please forgive me, because none of us are that good. If Pastor Paul Neal has to pray for forgiveness, trust me, you do. And then he says, as we forgive those who sin against us, man, that's." He's going to talk to us more about that shortly. So I'm going to come back to that. Verse 13. And it says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, let me clarify. This is not license to go places that you know you're tempted to do bad things in. I'm mentoring a young man and and discipling this young guy. We were talking just yesterday, and he said, Pastor Gabe, I want to go somewhere and watch the fights. And my friends want me to bring them to the bars and the clubs and all of that stuff. Is that a sin? Like he's so new, everything's like, is that a sin? Like he just wants to know, am I sinning? Can I get away with this? <laughs> That's not a sin, I'm good. And I keep giving him these, intentionally, these kind of vague, and it frustrates the day and out of him, I'm sure. But I gave him a very straightforward answer with this one. But I told him, listen, if it's unwise, don't do it. If you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted, doesn't matter your intentions of helping them, if you're going to ruin your own witness or ruin your own soul, do not go. Do not go. So Jesus is not giving us license to just go, I'm going to go do this, God. Please give me my strength. Listen, if you're an alcoholic, don't ask for him to give you strength to go to the bar. Don't go to the bar. That's called wisdom. I'm going to be very, I'm going to be careful with my words, but if you're struggling with pornography, don't open up your computer at nighttime. That's kind of personal, Pastor Gabe. Jesus was very personal. (laughs) We pray, though, for him to give us victory in the day-to-day struggles, the day-to-day temptations, the day-to-day things that come our way. We need his strength to help us. And some manuscripts have this, some don't. Some of your translations, even if you read this, may have included this, some may not. But it goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And though that may not be in all of the different translations and manuscripts, I absolutely love it. And I'll tell you why. Because it ends the prayer the same way it began, with worship. With a focus on him. And in this prayer, you see worship, you see admiration. Your prayer times, sometimes I'll just I cut well, most of the time I cut on Spotify and just let that play and I worship for a little while. Or I may sing a cappella. It's not pretty, but I'll sing a cappella. God likes it. <laughs> That's right, it's coming from now. It's a joyful noise. That's what that is. <laughs> and I'll sing and I'll worship. And I move into intercession. God, please move on this person's behalf. God, this person in our church, Lord, this family has been through, Lord, hell. Help them. I'll intercede for things, and I'm praying for his kingdom to come into the earth. And there's moments where I just make my request known to him. You see those three things, worship, intercession, and request. It may not always be in the same order, I normally begin with worship, but sometimes I may intercede after I pray for what I need. I think the heart of the matter is this. These should be a vital part of your prayer life. But then Jesus circles back to something in verse 14. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you. It's like Jesus felt the tension in the room and he went, oh, that's tense. Let me come right back to that one. (laughs) If you forgive those who sin against you. Your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is how seriously God takes forgiveness. How many of you ever had a friend who, if you have a problem with someone, they have a problem with someone? Like you ever had that ride or die friend? Like, man, can you believe they hurt my feelings? What? I'm fighting them right now. Where they at? God is kind of like that, but the opposite. (laughs) If you have a problem with someone, God has a problem with you. If you refuse to forgive someone, God says, then I'll withhold forgiveness until you rectify that, until you're willing to deal with that. And that seems harsh, Pastor Gabe. I didn't say it. He said it. And he, he said it, even if it hurts, is there to bring life. His correction brings good to us. Now, he's requiring this of us because he knows this is best for us. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean I'm agreeing that they were right. That's not what forgiveness is, it means I'm saying he's right. No matter what, he's right. Sometimes even, in, I remember my best friend, I'm a pastor in Atlanta, he told me this. He said, you know, in your arguments with your wife when it's her fault normally. Um, <laughs> so he said, <laughs> it doesn't matter who's right. What matters is what's right. And sometimes you got to get to that point where it doesn't matter who was right. What matters is that you obeyed God. And I jokingly say that, but that woman has had to offer me much more forgiveness and live without the principle. It doesn't matter who's right. What's right is that we're reconciled. What's right is that we've offered forgiveness to one another. And I'll also say this something that some of you may have never heard before forgiveness is not a feeling. of the times, if I've forgiven you, it is not because I felt like it. It's not because I woke up and just felt benevolent that day. I did it because I was obeying my Father in heaven. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is always a choice. And your feelings will catch up to your choice if you make the right choice. If you choose to stay in it, your feelings are going to be in agreement with you all day long. But when you choose to forgive, with time, the feelings subside because you chose it. And some of you, by the Spirit of God, God has revealed people to you even as I spoke to you. Do business with him today. It's time to forgive them. It's time to forgive them. You have lived in this this constant it's almost like an eight track player that's stuck just because you've let what they've done to you cause you to be unforgiving and because of that your life is stuck forgive so that you can move forward forgive so that you can heal forgiveness is not a choice it's, excuse me it's not a feeling it's a choice Unforgiveness is like taking rat poison and expecting them to die. And we forgive because he wants us to. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what they did to you. What they did to you pales in comparison to what you've done to God. And if anything, that's what God is saying in this moment. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've forgiven you of this much and you're holding on to this much? I've extended mercy and grace to you and ask you to follow me. And now you're refusing to give to them the very thing that I gave you. That's how seriously he takes this topic. It is a choice. And it doesn't always mean that reconciliation in a relationship happens. We don't always forgive just because someone asked us to forgive them. You forgive because your father asked you to forgive. But boundaries may need to be kept. There may need to be some distance in the relationship for the time being. But that does not give you the right to hold on to unforgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Are y'all with me? This is a big deal to God. Jesus takes this very seriously. I want to read this and just go here for a brief moment, and then I'm going to end. I'll unpack it more next week. But then Jesus moves on, and he says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and dishevelled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. If I'm going to not eat and my only reward is you saying you look spiritual. (laughs) But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And I know sometimes we, you want the admiration. You want somebody to see the sacrifice. You want them to see, but why? Is it for their their admiration or is it for your Father in heaven? This doesn't mean pretend not to eat or or eat, excuse me, pretend to eat and make sure it's done. Jesus is talking about the heart. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I want to take some time and I want to go back to this. I want to pray for you this morning. If you will, I'm going to ask Cody to come up. Cody, where are you at? I think some of you this morning need to do business with God. And I think for some of you, there have been that person, maybe me putting my finger on this, me talking about this rather, is God putting his finger on this, saying, you know what? It's time to forgive them. I know they hurt you, but it's time. I know they offended you. I know they embarrassed you. I know they neglected you. I know they rejected you. I know they weren't there for you. I know they never acknowledged what they did. But because I've forgiven you, will you extend forgiveness to them? Not for their benefit, but for yours. But for yours. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. If you're here, and for some of you, it may be two people. You may literally be seeing two people. I want to walk you through the process of forgiveness. It doesn't mean you make yourself susceptible to them again. But it does mean you have to let go of the, the bond that you've allowed yourself to stay in. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, that's me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. I want you to just pray this with me. Say, Father, you can say it under your breath and you can say it out loud. It doesn't matter. Say, Father, forgive me for holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness towards Now say the name of that person under your breath. Now I want you to picture them in your mind. And I want you to simply say this out loud. Pray this out loud. Say this with me. Say, you hurt me. You wounded me. But because Jesus forgave me, I forgive you. I release you you don't owe me anything your debt has been cancelled now Father give me the grace to walk this out I've chosen it because you asked me to and I want to follow you so help me live it out Thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus name. Now with we no one looking around, still, every head bowed right closed, maybe the business you need to do this morning is not with a person. The business you need to do is business with God. Because maybe you've never asked him to forgive you of the kingdom that I've talked about, Jesus said something in the Gospel of John. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that phrase is exactly how it sounds. Born again. A new creation. The old you dies. And the old you, and the new you, comes to life. That happens because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And receiving that is as easy as ABC. A, you admit, admit that you are a sinner, that there's sin in your life that has separated you from God. Maybe up until this point you've called it a mistake, you've called it some challenges, you've called it some defects, but let's call it what it is, it's sin that has separated you from God. You've missed the mark of perfection as we all have. But it's time for you to be honest with God about yours. And B, you believe. You believe that God sent Jesus to be the solution for that problem. That he died on that cross so that every sin you've ever committed can be washed clean by that blood. And then C, you confess Confess that he is now the Lord of your life. And that you're committing to follow him. That you're giving your allegiance to a new kingdom. Not to doing things your way, but doing them his. If you say, that's what I want, Pastor Gabe, with no one looking around, on the count of three, I do want to acknowledge now who I'm praying with. And then all of us are going to pray out loud together. But if that's you, lift up your hand on the count of three. One, One, two, three. That's you lifted up. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, sweet girl. Now, if your hands are raised, I want you to, with nobody looking around, I want you to look up at me. Because this is something that happens once. And I don't want you to ever forget it. This is the day Jesus became the Lord of your life, and everything up until this point has been washed away. You can close your eyes. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with them. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame. You faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. So I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. The church, let's celebrate with our new family members. Some of you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. I do want to ask this. Please don't rush out right now. Because I want to give some instruction to those who just prayed to be born again. Where, you may be wondering, what do I do now? What do I do next? First, keep coming. Keep coming and learning what it means now to walk out the journey you began. And you get to do it with brothers and sisters. And maybe you're not from here. Listen, you don't have to come to this church. Find a church. Find one that you can learn what it means to really walk out this lifestyle. Of following Jesus. And secondly, secondly, lastly, let somebody know. You can take the connect card in the pew pocket in front of you, fill that out, and check off the box that said, I prayed to be born again. You can find somebody in our church and say, Man, I, I prayed today to get born again. I'm not even sure what that means. I just know I'm not going to hell and I'm saved now. What do I do now? And let us help you in this brand new journey of following Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. One more time. Let's give it up for them, church. Now, if you will, everyone, stand to your feet. And I want to pray for you. Don't forget, next, next week will be our intro to next steps. If Whether you got saved today or whether you've been saved for a long time and you're trying to figure out what's next for me, where do I go, what's the next steps in my journey with God, come to our intro to next steps. We'd love to help you with that process. Also, if you say, Pastor, I need prayer Something you put your finger on today, or something that that's just going on in my life—a diagnosis, something in my family—we're going to have prayer partners right up here at the front of the altar to pray for you. So please come, find someone, and let them pray and intercede with you. Are you glad you came to church today? Good. Let me pray for you and release you, Father. I thank you for your people, God. I pray you bless them, that your disciples and all that they do, and they're going out and they're coming in, Lord. It would be blessed. You would prosper them with the things they put their hands to. And as a church, I pray for the spirit of evangelism and the spirit of discipleship to rest in this church. And God, I pray that we would be a people who walk in the fear of the Lord, in purity. People, God, who walk in the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And a people, God, who walk in, in just a persistent faith, even in the face of challenges. And all God's people say, amen.